The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is the future of cars with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in the automotive industry and its supporting ecosystem and help them move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to I'm not even going to say if you want to run with the Game Changers. I'm going to say if you want to drive with the Game Changers or if you want to have the Game Changers drive you, you are definitely in the right place. So park whatever you're driving and stick around for the next hour. Today's buzz, patience is a virtue. Oh, never been my strong suit. I don't know about yours. Let me get started. They have been arriving since the 1930s. <laughs> really? Yes, they have. But the question on the table is, when will one or more autonomous vehicles be parked in your garage? You know, driverless, self-driving. We have all kinds of terms for them. Well, the good news is they might be coming soon. The bad news is there are many kinds of roadblocks ahead. Some of the issues are easy. Technology standards, standards of tweaks about how they work and how they're regulated. Okay, how about societal adoption? Are we ready? What's our mindset? What about safety proofing? I know, I know we've heard about cars being hacked and what will happen to self-driving cars. And what about the benefits? What's in it for you? Well, we'll figure that out on another show. But today we want to talk about the most costly and complex challenge to the arrival of autonomous vehicles. And it is the existing infrastructures. That's your city. That's what's happening on the roads. That's the places we're going to be with our cars. These existing infrastructures have to be developed, modified, and well-financed as in ka-ching, ka-ching, money, to support the technology of driverless vehicles. I don't know if it's a daunting challenge. We're going to find out from our panelists today. They're no strangers to the future of cars with game changers. We're welcoming back. Let me just run down before I introduce them. Heather Ashton, Research Manager at IDC Manufacturing Insights. We're also joined by Otto Schell global SAP business architect and SAP Center of Excellence lead at GM, and Larry Stoley, Senior Global Director of Automotive Marketing at SAP. They were the first panel on the launch of the show a couple months ago, and they're back because they're so smart and passionate about this topic. Let me first introduce Heather Ashton with the quote she sent me today from Oliver Wendell Holmes, Sr. He was an American physician a poet, a professor, and dean of Harvard Medical School. Uh-huh. And he's most famous for his poem, Old Ironsides. He was raised in Boston and educated at Phillips Academy. I think that's Exeter. I had a distant relative who went there and Harvard College. Here's the interesting quote. The axis of the earth sticks out visibly through the center of each and every town or city. Heather Ashton, what did you drive to get to the show today, Heather? How are you? <laughs> Very well, Bonnie. How are you doing? 
I'm well. Talk to me seriously. What are you driving? Are is it automatic, autonomous vehicle driving you to the st- to the show today, or is it not in your garage yet, Heather? Not in my garage yet. I still have my Jeep Wrangler. Okay, and you have to drive it, right? I do, unfortunately. <laughs> okay, so talk to me about this interesting quote from Oliver Wendell Holmes, Sr. What does the axis of the earth sticking out visibly through the center of each and every town or city have to do with our topic today? We're talking about the arrival or the delay of autonomous vehicles in our garages. Sure. Thanks, Bonnie. It, um, mm-hmm. I thought this was um, apropos because we're really talking about infrastructure, right, and how the cities and towns are going to respond to autonomous and semi-autonomous vehicles. And uh, I'm reading a fascinating book that was just released a few weeks ago uh, called Door to Door, The Magnificent, Maddening, Mysterious World of Transportation by Edward Humes, who's a Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist. And he talks about how transportation is really changing and, you know, the, um, and needs to change the infrastructure in which we live. And uh, he mentions Carmageddon, which I wasn't aware of. In 2011 in Los Angeles, did you know about the, the shutdown of the 405, which was the city's busiest freeway, um, mm-hmm. scheduled to last a weekend to start this $1.3 billion expansion of the roadway that would take five years to, you know, complete. So the town, you know, the gurus within the city, the traffic, you know, gurus, they all predicted that Carmageddon would wreak havoc on the city's transportation flow for the weekend as the road was shut down. But it didn't happen. The... Not one of the dire predictions came true, and congestion decreased. There were no major traffic jams, no accidents. So the second biggest city in the U.S. had to accept the fact that we're seeing a wider shift here, away from car-centric transportation policies and toward broader options for mobility. So what happens in these major cities is followed by the rest of the world because these cities do form the axes of the movement around the globe. And it is mm-hmm. these cities that will really help realize the potential for autonomous cars and autonomous transportation to change how we move around the city and beyond. So that's why I thought it was a really, um, really fitting for our conversation today. It certainly is, and I just Googled door-to-door, and it's Edward Humes. If anybody's looking for it, I'm going to tweet this as H-U-M-E-S. Very, very interesting. I'm posting that, Heather. Ashton is reading Door-to-Door by Edward Humes, and let people go find it. Very interesting. Carmageddon, is, uh, who made that one up? I, I think it was the, um, you know, some of the pundits in the city, but the city actually accepted that title, which is ironic, of course, you know, trying to be optimistic, but realizing that it could, it could cause a, cause, cause quite havoc on the city. It's, it sounds a lot more interesting and a little bit more movie-like than uh, Bridgegate, which probably derailed uh, Governor Christie, and we'll leave that one alone on this Super Tuesday in the Northeast here. We're just not going to get political. Thank you, Heather. Always a pleasure to speak with you, and uh, I'm glad you're driving something that you can control. We'll leave that one on the table and in the garage. And now let me welcome back Otto Shell at GM. And Otto has sent me a very interesting quote as well from Soren Kierkegaard. I think I pronounced that right. Kierkegaard's original name, full name is Soren Abbey, A-A-B-Y-E, Kierkegaard, 1813 to 1855. He was a Danish philosopher, a theologian, a poet, 
like Oliver Wendell Holmes Sr., a social critic and a religious author who is widely considered to be the first existentialist philosopher. Interesting. And I'm just going to add a little bit of trivia here and see if, <clears throat> excuse me, if Otto Schell has heard about this. Kierkegaard's early work was written under various pseudonyms that he used to present distinctive viewpoints and to intera- interact with others in complex dialogue. So he would explore a particularly complex problem and he would use a different name. I don't know whether he was trying to escape because his car wasn't fast enough or not but here is right here here is yes he died in 1855 here is Otto Schell's quote from Kierkegaard life can only be understood backwards but it must be lived forward Otto Schell welcome back how are you today Otto yeah I'm doing very well so and uh, actually for the for the cause of the stake I'm here at the Hannover Fair Hannover Fair is one of the biggest fair for production and industrialization. The partner selected this year is U.S., so Barack Obama was the last couple of days here, and it's all under the naming productivity. So let me tell what happened this morning. So I'm a little bit outside of Hannover Town. It's difficult to get a hotel. My colleagues, which were going here to the area, ordered a cab, waited more than one and a half hours. And what they heard afterwards when they called, yeah, your reservation is cancelled. But if you use an app, you will come. So what I did, after one and a half hours waiting on a call, I used the app and the cab was there within 10 minutes. That is digitalization, right? And that is totally strange. The reason why we had so much issues to get cabs this morning was something which we will talk about. There was a a strike of the ground... uh, ground transportation. So they used after the Obama uh, event yesterday, the entire day today for striking. So people couldn't get from the airplane or from from the station with a bus or with a train. Tomorrow they will strike on the uh, on the Lufthansa. So uh-huh. and that is something which is then thinking. You talk about productivity, Internet of Things, autonomous driving, and you see how the reaction is in this kind of things. I think the quote I took a couple of weeks ago to prepare the session is exactly the right. No? So we have people still working in the past. Of course, they have to take their rights, and it's clear they want job satisfaction, they want more money. But on the other side, we are here in the heart of digitalization having this external event. So I think quote was completely right. What I'm doing here, I cover several sessions, of course, from the mm-hmm. user group perspective, but also in the IoT and we will share afterwards some observation on this. Thank you, Otto. Uh, glad to know that you're there and you finally got that cab. Interestingly enough, I just read news today that the concept of an Uber will be featured in a movie coming up later this year or next year starring Will Farrell, Farrell uh, the comedi- American comedian, as an Uber driver whose car is hijacked to help a, I guess, a, a felon, a murderer, a, a bad guy get away. And it's probably the first time that that kind of transportation, according to the uh, Hollywood Bulletin I read, that t- kind of transportation, meaning Uber, app app driven if we can say that transportation for hire will be featured in a movie so Otto, tell me something are you a fan of soren kierkegaard did you know that he used pseudonyms every time he wanted to say something different he changed his name uh that's called a fast getaway right and and what about the quote life can only be understood backwards but must be lived forward are you uh are you adherent of that yeah yeah, sure. The um, the point is very simple. So when you are here at this, this at this fair and people talk about uh, Internet of Things, 
you don't really feel that they are in the future. Yeah? They, are, they are just mentaling themselves. They are just assessing their self-organization. And I just came out of a session where somebody talked about a digitalized elevator, but it's still an elevator, yeah? right? And mm. uh, so they, they took a five-year journey to digitalize, and this is not the digitalization the, the autonomous we have in mind. So what you see at the moment, people try really to capture the history, to, to get into where they are, where they want to be. But I have not seen at all a really digitalization approach, and that is what I meant with the quote. No? So we are still there where we are. I think the the uh, the mobility of digitalization, so what is in for us human beings at the moment, it's still difficult to understand. And that is why I think this quote is exactly right. We need to try more. We need to be more pushy in sense of where can it drive us versus to protect our SS. Thank you, Otto. One quick question before I introduce Larry Stoli. Questions, what is a digitized elevator? What What is going to happen? Uh, I think you remember movies like uh, Matrix or others where when they went into buildings, they, they could lock into into elevators, make them move in a different way so that you can go uh, out, that they can get through without being detected. If you translate uh, this in a business model, means uh, you have uh, full connectivity, you know where your elevators are, and you, in principle, uh, the idea is uh, you don't go to an elevator, you are transported, you are a passenger. Interesting. And is, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure at a certain point in time you will go in an elevator somewhere in the U.S. or in China where they are using this, and if you're alone in the elevator, cannot do it with 10 people, and you will be asked, hey, Bonnie, how are you doing? Yeah, nice to see you. Yeah, and by the way, <laughs> when you go to the floor XYZ, there is a nice shop, and we know that you are desperate to look for something because we have seen that you looked at the internet. Woohoo! Okay, so my elevator is going to tell me where to shop, and it's going to know about me just like if I was in a store and I got a, a coupon, discount coupon, digital on my uh, smartphone from a vendor when I just entered their brick and mortar store, saying, "Hey, we know yeah, you're looking well, for a pair of." candlesticks yeah, oh my ele- that's, that's wow right. wow i feel elevated already thank you very much otto sorry for the bad pun yeah, and larry no, and quite honest there's no, dif- there's no difference elevators go up and down and cars go side by side there you go we're all trying to get somewhere fast right thank you now it's time to introduce larry stoley senior global director of automotive marketing at sap and the sponsor of this series and larry has picked a very interesting quote from somebody who is actually involved in transportation the quote is from anthony fox f-o-x-x he is the u.s secretary of transportation and his full name is anthony renard fox anybody out there who speaks french renard i believe is a fox so his mother either had a good sense of humor or she wasn't sure what language to name him so it's anthony renard fox born in 1971 he's currently serving as u.s secretary of transportation since 2013 Uh, interestingly enough he was first elected to the charlotte north carolina city council in 2005 and upon his 2009 mayor victory he became the youngest mayor of charlotte and its second african-american mayor but perhaps more important uh he graduated from davidson college where he was the first african-american student body president in 1993 and uh, he earned his law degree from nyu law school i'm trying to get to something important here larry president barack obama nominated anthony fox to be the secretary of transportation in april 2013 okay that's three years ago this month but what's interesting was he was confirmed by a one 100 to 0 vote 
Interesting. And Larry, here's another piece of trivia. Larry Stoley, before we read the quote, do you know what a designated survivor for the State of the Union address is in the U.S.? Ever heard that term? No, I have not. Okay, Anthony Fox was the designated survivor for the 2015 State of the Union address. And in the U.S., a designated survivor or a successor is an individual in the presidential line of succession, usually a member of the U.S. cabinet, who is arranged to be at a physically distant, secure, undisclosed location when the pre- I'm not kidding you, like a, yeah, when the president and the country's other top leaders are gathered at a single location, such as during the State of the Union address and presidential inaugurations. So that's how important Anthony Fox is, that he's in the direct line of descent, and they put him in a secret place just in case. So I'm glad he didn't have to be the, yes, the second of whatever. So here's the quote, getting back to the quote Larry sent. The reality about transportation is that it is infrastructure-oriented. If we are planning for what we have, we are behind the curve. Wow, there's a lot of meaning in there. Larry Stoley, welcome back. How are you? I'm good, Bonnie. Thank you. How are you? I'm very well. Having a lot of fun with the background on these quotes. So tell me something. Are you a big fan of Anthony Fox? Did you just happen to come across this because transportation is part of his title and that's what our show is about? How did you pick the quote, Larry? Well, fundamentally, I'm not really a fan of anybody in government. So now you know where (laughs) I really stand. But, you know, despite that, there are some very significant pearls that come out. People's wisdom is is there, you know, no matter what. And, you know, we've talked about Carmageddon. We've talked about matrixes and elevators and stuff. And all around, and we talked about uh, Hanover and and transportation strikes and so on. All of this is about money at at the end of the day. And when you look at what Anthony Fox said, it's really profound because... He said it in a very simplistic way. What he said was, if we build for for today, we're behind the curve, meaning we're not taking care of the future. The future is going to be expensive. Infrastructure necessary for autonomous, semi-autonomous vehicles, a blend of driver and driverless vehicles is going to be expensive. He also, you know, you have to consider that we have tremendous challenges in our transportation infrastructure today. I live in Michigan. I can say this. When the roads improve, you know you're out of Michigan. So, you know, we have not only challenges to meet the growing transportation needs of today's transportation, people, millions and millions of people driving cars. We also have the complication of trying to fix the existing infrastructure, which in many cases needs attention. So we have three things financially that are facing us. Fix what's broken, build for today, and implement the infrastructure necessary for the future. This is a tremendous financial burden, uh, or maybe we should say opportunity, mm-hmm. that, that we have to consider. Anthony Fox's comment was spot on as we move to you know, autonomous vehicles and, and the uh, mobility world that we'll see in the next 10, 15, 20 years. Larry, is there an autonomous vehicle in your garage yet? And are you going to be patient, which is part of our theme today? Hmm? Um, there is no autonomous vehicle in my garage. Um, am I going to be patient? I think I'm going to be forced to be patient because I do like to drive. And I will test that water very cautiously, but uh, test it I will because I am a huge proponent of it. 
Interesting. Uh, yeah, I have a lot of questions, but we'll get to those later. Wonderful. Thank you. We have Heather Ashton from IDC. We have Otto Shell at GM and Larry Stoli at SAP. And now it's time for us to get personal with our panelists. Heather Ashton, where are you calling from today? What time of day or otherwise is it? And if not in the morning, and what are you drinking or what would, what are you planning to drink later? Um, it is morning in Boston time, Bonnie, mm-hmm. and therefore I'm still drinking my favorite drink, of uh, uh, coffee, and it is my um, my typical mix, which I, I think I introduced in a previous version of this show, um, the Bulletproof Coffee, which is uh, yes. take my favorite coffee and pour it in a blender with coconut oil and organic butter and a dash of stevia and a splash of coconut milk and whirl it up into a frothy latte for all the essential nutrients I need to feed my brain and my body. Well, I can tell it's feeding your brain very well because you always sound so sharp on these shows. So, yes, what's the flavor like, Heather? Do you taste the butter? What do you taste? Do you taste the coconut oil? What's the predominant flavor of the Bulletproof Coffee? Yes, it is buttery. I would say that is a predominant um, taste is that the, and the coconut oil and the butter together. It's very, it's a very buttery, you know, like almost like a popcorn, you know, butter, the, uh, you know, butter popcorn type, type of flavoring. So I definitely, that comes through with the, um, with the, you know, the sharpness of the, the coffee beans. So I think it really kind of mellows it out, I would say. Well, thank you very much. Sounds good. I've done a little reading on that. I don't know where I would find this organic grass-fed butter. I'm sure one of my upscale grocery stores here on Long Island. Sounds interesting. I'm going to give it a try one of these days, and I'll tell you if it's driving me faster. Okay, thank you, Heather. (laughs) Otto Otto Shell, driving my brain faster, Heather. That could be dangerous. Otto Shell, I know you're somewhere in Germany. Exactly where are you? Although uh, maybe you're the designated successor, and we're not supposed to say that on the air. What time of day is it, and what are you planning to drink today? It's around uh, about 4.20 in the afternoon, and mm-hmm. I'm, as I mentioned, in Hanover, at the Hanover Fair, which is the biggest, uh, I would say, really production exhibition where uh, huge companies show where they are with digitalization. So it's a lot about robotics, it's a lot about 3D printing, it's a lot about mixture of materials like in trucks or in, uh, in farming. Hannover is in the northern part, so it's uh, near to, uh, to uh, Wolfsburg, which is the VW headquarter. It's around about a couple of uh, hours away from Berlin, from Hamburg. Normally, Hannover, I would say, is nowhere land because it's, it's not mm-hmm. on the top shots list of, uh, of countries you want to live. But for the two fairs, which is Sebit and this one, they are very... Uh, famous and a lot of people going here and as I said in the beginning a lot of people trying to get information where they are, what other companies are doing mm, and as usual I drink yes. coffee uh, a little bit changed to the last series yeah, I take less and less sugar now because uh, um, just going also a little bit on diet no? because no. An autonomous car yeah sure because every time <laughs> when you know in future an autonomous car, and if you don't order a specific, you may have to go in one which you simply not fit in. That's why you need to go on diet, too. Ah! <laughs> okay, now we have to fit and, into our yeah. cars. That's an interesting... By the no, way... No, no, it was, was a joke, but I wanted to, I wanted to comment. I, yes. I wanted to comment to Larry when you asked him about does he have an autonomous car in the garage. Yes. Larry will never have an autonomous car in his garage because he needs an excuse to go in the garage. <laughs> 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 
No, you did. I visited the potato something. Or... No, that's good. That's good. <laughs> oh, I love it. That's good. Uh, Larry Stoller, you've been summoned. <laughs> what are you going to be drinking later after the show? Out. I'm the designated survivor here. <laughs> you, I don't think you we're going to let that term spoken. go for a long time. Go ahead. Yeah, honestly spoken, you know, I always have my uh, plain old Folgers coffee. But I will also tell you that uh, one of the high points of each and every morning for me is a big glass of milk. I am just a, a, a milk lover. So I start the day off with milk, and then I transition to coffee. I never pour milk in my coffee, but I drink milk first and coffee second. And uh, that's kind of my morning. Interesting. I'm a big milk drinker as well, Larry, and I inherited that love from my dad. He used to go in. He's been gone 20 years now, but he was known to go into some very nice restaurants in New York, wherever he and mom were going with whomever after theater or wherever they were going. And uh, let's say chocolate cake was on the dessert menu. Dad, I don't think dad ever passed that up, but he would ask for either a glass of plain milk or buttermilk. And the waiters invariably looked at him like, are you serious? You're in a very classy restaurant. You don't want our finest coffee. You don't want an after-dinner drink. He said, please bring me a glass of cold milk. And he was absolutely serious. So I start my day with a, uh, a home-brewed shake of 1% milk uh, with a little bit of ice, half of a banana, little sprinkling of unsweetened cocoa, and a squirt of agave syrup. Uh, Heather, that's my, that's my homage to something healthy. And it's actually really, really good. Really, really good. I'm going to pass up on the, the grass-fed butter for right now. Well, thank you, everyone. We have a really lively panel here, and we're talking about the future of cars. Of course, that's our series. But autonomous vehicles now, now, question mark, the impact on smart cities, and maybe we'll flip that title around and we'll say the impact of smart cities on the arrival of autonomous vehicles. I think we can look at it from either end. We're speaking today, once again, my pleasure to speak with Heather Ashton at IDC, Auto Shell at GM. Auto, somebody was asking me if you spelled your first name A-U-T-O, Auto Shell, because it sounds like auto, excuse me, and you work for GM, but we'll leave that one alone. And Larry Stoley, who is not drinking Stoley right now. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, like drinking cool, clear water filtered with a Brita, of course, with a pink straw, hoping for sunshine. It's rainy here in New York, and I'm guessing Heather may have the same weather in Boston. Don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. When we come back, we're going to have a lot more about smart cities, smart meters, smart streetlights, smart cars, and smart you. So I'm just going to say to our engineer, Justin, out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. SAP is excited to be a co-innovator with the automotive industry as we help automotive and related companies digitally transform their entire industry and disrupt their existing business models. The Future of Cars with Game Changers brings you insights from the people in the driver's seat who are making this happen. We'll delve into industry challenges and solutions that support ecosystem industries, all to help you succeed in transforming your business and business networks for success in the new digital networked age. Tune in to the Business Channel to hear today's top technology and business strategy thought leaders share expert insights on how the automotive industry is shaping the future of change for all of us. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. 
You're listening to The Future of Cars with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to The Future of Cars with Game Changers. Here we are. We are the future of cars, and I'm speaking with three very notable game changers. I've already introduced them, and let's get started on our roundtable. Heather Ashton at IDC Insights is going to start us off. Heather, I'm going to read a little bit from some of your notes, and then I'm going to jump ahead, but I want to make this statement. Heather told me before the show, the notion of smart cities is changing the way municipalities view technology, and many leading cities are actually baking technology right into the fabric of the city. Heather can comment on that later, but she told me there is a chief of streets in Boston. I'm just going to leave that on the table. I don't know who runs for that office, but we'll find out later. Here's what we really want to talk about. Data. D-A-T-A. Data. Yes. Sensors, Internet of Things, data, driverless cars, autonomous vehicles. There's data there, kids. Data in them are hills. And Heather says data could be a gold mine here for cities and for all of the participants in what she's calling the connected car ecosystem. Heather, why don't you expand this for us? Talk about parking revenues and revenues and uh, who's collecting all this data. Sure. Um, thank you, Bonnie. Well, at this point, that, that really is one of those questions, you know, and it always comes back to that from a data perspective. Who owns the data? Who's collecting it? Who has access to it? And what we're seeing is, as you mentioned, that chief of streets, these cities, um, some cities in, in the U.S. at least, uh, Parking revenues can be up to 20% of the total revenue for the city. So what happens if we move to uh, autonomous vehicles and we replace parking with transportation services, right? The, the cities are going to lose that, that revenue, which is very important for them. So that's where data comes in, and, and you think about how to monetize some of the data that's being collected, traffic and road conditions within the city, right, traffic patterns that could help advertisers or retailers or service providers to optimize their offerings. Uh, so I do think that there there's an opportunity there. The question is, of course, who owns it? I think that some of these smart cities, and I'm using that that pun, of course, are really starting to think about as this transition transition happens, and we're being pulled along by autonomous vehicles and transportation services. How do we change our revenue model so that we um, we don't lose out, so that we we can kind of capture opportunities? Heather, is it a foregone conclusion that we won't need parking meters and therefore won't be raising revenues for, from them? What if a smart car had something built in where it parked and there was a standardized fee for parking in that spot, in on the street, in the garage, in the elevated structure, and it was part of the automated technology that uh, somehow the car would go into the grid digitally, remotely, and a fee, a certain amount of money would be transferred to that municipality for the occupancy of that space, wherever it was. Who's saying that that wouldn't, we wouldn't still have that? That, That's a very good point, that that could be one way, you know, that it does shake out. But I would also, I would suggest that, um, you know, the cost conscious, say, you know, transportation provider would pretend maybe they would prefer to kind of move that smart car somewhere outside the city where it's being told for parking or for standing or for holding. Ah. Um, so I don't know. But but also to your point, I think we're there, there are many years of transition ahead. So I think the first thing you're going to see is, is some of that smart smart parking, right? Where um, Do you know that anywhere from 30 to more than 60% of drivers on congested city streets are clogging things up because they're looking for parking? 
So in this interim where we have semi-autonomous cars and smart cars, perhaps what we're doing is we're, we're, you know, the parking services, which is something that, you know, exists today in some of these cities, right? The, the, the notion of apps that can identify that the cars or spaces, I mean, spaces that are available for parking. And again, that is still being charged for, right, the, the actual parking. So I do, it's an interesting futuristic kind of view that you give. And I think that we, we're going to spend a couple of years at least moving through it, right, with some of these other opportunities. Heather, you just used a very interesting word, moving. I, I live in Great Neck on Long Island. We have a downtown. We have uh, nine incorporated villages that are literally on top of each other. You go half a block, you're in a, an unincorporated area that is edged upon adjacently by two incorporated areas or three incorporated areas all share the same street front. It's amazing. But three blocks from where I am, I go through the village of Great Neck Plaza. It is heavily residential, but there's a small, what we'll call a Main Street shopping area. The clogging to get through that three blocks, Heather, because of what you said, people looking for parking. They double park. They triple park. They sit in the middle. They wait. You cannot. Sometimes it takes me 10 minutes just to go three blocks to get around the people looking for. They don't have enough parking garages. They don't have enough parking lots. And that's, I've never heard anybody say it so eloquently. Up to 30% of drivers are clogging city streets. I think that's what you said. Looking for parking. It's here. It's in suburbia. Heather, thank you. You, you just validated everything that makes my driving three blocks very painful. So let's move on to Otto Shell with his worldview. Otto, let's talk about the parking dilemma. Will we be charging for driverless cars? What will happen to the revenues? And who's collecting all of that data? Otto? Yeah, I think this is a question of unused assets. I use this mm-hmm. term for how can we use assets in a different way. Yeah. So let me give the example. When you are here in Germany in the big uh, cities like Frankfurt, Munich, Hamburg, Cologne, people give their cars away because they don't find parking spots. And they don't find parking spots uh, in the areas where they want to be. Uh, you want not to travel to your parking you wanna, or to your location. You want to be at the location. So there are different uh, ways I think we have to, to take this. First of all, uh, it has impact on, on revenue for cities and forget about what they get in revenue on the parkings. They get much more revenue, I think, on fines because of one parking. No? That's what you don't want, and this will not happen in the future because it will be an intelligent parking. But also is changing, and there are already models going out, is that you auction a parking spot. Now, who first comes in, takes it, and then and then you auction it. So. Around this case, there's a lot of things going on, but it's still the old model that we park a car. What is mm-hmm. in the future when we have uh, connected cars? Yeah, You can also imagine that when you are going out of your car, your car is still moving in the traffic yeah, because it, it can drive without a driver. Yeah, So in principle, you use uh, the cities without hopefully getting traffic jams to let cars rotate, and it comes back to you when you want to have it. It's the simple stuff. So I think we have to think about different models. can also be that, like, I'm here at the fairground, which is huge. No? So even if Hannover may not have the problem like with parking, but they are in Munich and Frankfurt, that you use those fairgrounds, which are normally not used on every day, just at the exhibition, and mm-hmm. use it as alternative parking, which means you have to give other transportations a way to bring you to the point. Yeah? So 
We have to think really completely different because at the end, what we know is very simple. We don't have enough space in our cities to do all these kind of things. Why? In the big cities where people are moving in, I'm pretty sure in a couple of years we will talk about more how can we use these unused parking spots as buildings for letting our people live. Yeah, so hmm. there, is a, there will be a huge change. At the moment, I think the biggest is that, that we open our minds in to what what can happen, how we think different about this, at least maybe not in the next three to four years or five years, but when we build our new cities and we have cities like Singapore or others who use already these new models, uh, that we build cities in a way that there is a trade-off between uh, living space and parking space, knowing that we really get in an autonomous way where, where cars can drive without us in the in the car, and this can be then a floating uh, parking space too. Mm, interesting. And I know you enjoy your car. You have all the bells and whistles, and you even sent me a sample, Mr. Shell, a couple months ago of the techno music you like to listen to in your car, and I played it on a team call, and everybody liked your music. So thank you very much for right. that. I- interesting. Maybe you can listen to more if the car is driving itself. Larry Stoley, chime in here, please. Parking, what about it with autonomous vehicles? Will we still be worrying about it? And who Will there be revenue? Will it exist? Well, I, I think it's all true, and... I look at this from from a little bit different perspective. I don't live in a highly densely populated area. Certainly when you look at Europe and you look at the towns in Germany, small towns, large towns, both, there is a tremendous amount of opportunity for parking, management of parking, revenue from parking. And there's always going to be that conflict. Uh, And I think it's going to come in the future, like Otto said. You know, we've, we're going to have to rationalize what's important for people and what's important for cars. So that's coming. But here in the U.S., we have a little bit of a different situation. The high-density areas, Boston, New York, San Francisco, for example. Uh, Heather talked about the 405 in, in uh, Los Angeles. Uh, those high-density areas, certainly parking is, is a very important thing. But, you know, across most of the rest of the U.S., Parking's not a big deal. It's just not. So we're going to see that evolve over time. We're going to see it evolve as uh, vehicle densities increase, as population densities increase. But here in the U.S., it's going to be a relatively slow thing outside the highly dense urban areas. The the other thing that, that I think is something to consider is many studies indicate as we make the transition to autonomous vehicles, that allows us also to transition to shared vehicles. And some studies indicate that the transportation needs of the population can be addressed with fewer than 20% of the vehicles we now have in operation. That gives you some clue as to the inefficiency of our use of vehicles right now. So if 20% addresses the transportation needs of, of the population in a shared and autonomous vehicle world, do we really in the future anticipate parking issues? I'm not entirely sure. Hmm. Maybe we'll have the uh, vaporizing autonomous vehicle where it won't need to park. It'll just become a series of little atoms and electrons and little molecules, and it will just reappear when you snap your app, and the car will just be there. Maybe we won't. Yeah, we'll, and, we'll and just, I think... I think the key thing is as companies transition to transporta- being transportation providers rather than 
vehicle manufacturers per se and so on and so mm-hmm. forth. It's going to be very incumbent on those transportation providers to maximize their return on assets. Assets. So, you know, it's going to be important for them to keep their assets moving uh, and not parked somewhere. So, you know, all of that kind of kind of thinking is going to combine to to provide an alternative view of the problem. Interesting. Talking about alternative views, Larry, uh, I've been recently in touch through Facebook with a woman who was my neighbor in Cambridge, Massachusetts. When my husband and I and our young children lived there in North Cambridge, a very interesting, ethnically dense and varied neighborhood in, oh, I'm going way back in time here, in the 19, early 1970s. Wow. And at the time, Larry and company, I was a student at Boston University finishing my bachelor's degree, and my son needed to do something with him when I went to school that summer. So I had a wonderful dark red, no surprise if you know what color my hair still is, uh, dark red, I guess it was a Schwinn bike, and I put a little child seat on the back, and I would deposit my son. On the, it, it'd strap him in and drive to Harvard Square and drop him off at, of course, Radcliffe Daycare. Mm-hmm. And then I would take the, whatever they call it, the trolley or the train, Heather, help me out with this, into Boston and go to BU for my, I took a, a full semester of experimental psychology, a 21-day crash course and got the whole semester credit for it. Then I'd come back to Harvard Square, put him back on the child seat and ride him home to our house in Cambridge. Well, long story short, apparently, according to my friend, I sold that bike to her sister who used the bike seat to take her son places on that same bike. Fast forward how many decades? And apparently the sister was looking for some paint to repair the scratches on the red bike. Couldn't find it, but took it to a dealer. And he told her that bike is now worth, are you ready? $3,000. I'm not kidding you. <laughs> she sent me a picture. So Larry and Otto and Heather, I, I'm going to go back to, you know, I don't know what my sports car will be worth in another 20 years. It's still adorable, but maybe I'll just buy that bike back from them and pretend nobody told me that. Anyway, talking about alternative uh, transportation, we'll have to do a show on bicycles competing with autonomous vehicles at some point in the future. Thanks for good conversation, everyone. Otto Shell, I'm looking at your notes here, some very interesting topics. And since we're talking about uh, in infrastructure. Let's talk about fueling gas stations. And you posed the question to me, what is the future of a gas station? Otto says the following, traditional industries will be gone and others will step in. We have to think different. Or would you still open a traditional gas station repair station or a virtual tool room? Very provocative. Otto, why don't you tell us what this is all about, please? Yeah, this is coming from uh, discussions I had with students when we were thinking about um, what does digitalization mean in sense of new business models or infrastructures, and I really asked them to, to think divergence about this. And one of the discussions we had then is about really gas stations. No? So gas station converted in the last, I would say, 20 years from a pure gas station into a grocery shop which mixed already up different industries. In future, when we talk about alternative uh, proposals and uh, electrocars and, 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 the question is, do we want to really drive just for taking gas or for car wash, or is this then delivered as a service? Yeah? And delivered as a service means it can come to your home. No? Now you may say, 
yeah, oil is classically coming to your home with a truck in front of you. But just consider and take out any safety considerations. It's delivered by a drone. Why not? Yeah, because a drone can deliver this kind of uh, uh, gas very simply to your home or wherever you are. Yeah, you, you know the advertising where people run about the street because they are going out of gas and have to go miles and miles and miles. And if you're in the desert, you're even lost. So then the question is, if you think really diverge, what is a gas station? And at the end of the day, a gas station is the infrastructure, which means in when you go to, let's say, Austria, you have several thousands in, uh, from the same chain. If you go to Europe, mm-hmm. same in US, you have chains in the cities and just now you convert them into virtual gas station, which means they are for energy for your car so that you take gas, they can exchange batteries, that you go with batteries, but they also can be considered as collection hubs. Yeah, for, uh, Remember what we discussed before, parking. Yeah, And my example of that, that there were permanent parking by being cars on the street is similar to what Larry has in mind with mobility. But those... Already existing distribution hub could be used completely different just as hubs to ensure that people get moved or that things get stores. And that is uh, the discussion we had. I personally don't think that in 10 years uh, or maybe even in 15 years, uh, any human being would go to a, a gas station to take gas because there are other ways of delivery. And you need to find for this alternatives again. It's the distribution hub, which is the current advantage of those uh, gas stations. Very provocative. Larry Stoley, I'm going to call you Swami for this because I know we're getting very futuristic here. Mr. Swami Stoley, talk to me. What do you think about Otto's concept? Well, I think it's an interesting concept. I, you know, I, there, there are some things that make me wonder a little bit. Let, let me first say that I believe he's right. Um, we're going to come to expect entirely different things from our transportation infrastructure in the next 20, 30, 40, 50 years. Things like Otto described, I think, will be probably the, the, you know, the, the core of the new mobility that we're going to see. The, the challenge I have is, okay, how do we transition to that? I will tell you that if if I talk to my wife about having a drone deliver fuel to the car in the driveway, she's going to scratch her head and say, huh? You know, breaking the old habits is, is and old uh, ways of doing things is going to take time. And then you're going to take that time and multiply it across the driving universe. So I think it's going to be be a, a bit of a, a challenge, if you will. I do think it, it uh, probably will come to pass. I think the, the other na- notion of, you know, Service is is going to be fundamentally one we've got to figure out as well. You know, we can talk about putting fuel in our cars, but and, and that's a routine thing. But you know, vehicles have to be serviced as well. The software, the data generation things, the sensors, and so on, these don't have to be changed. They don't wear out. But brakes, tires, those types of things uh, are, are wear and tear items. They absolutely, the mechanical devices absolutely wear out. So we're going to have to figure out the service side of this as well. And I think fundamentally that's going to be somehow related to, you know, the hubs that we're talking about. The delivery of fuel, the delivery of services is something that's going to have to be rationalized in time as well. And 
I think these are very, very significant undertakings that will happen, and I think there's tremendous opportunity for change, but I think there's also a whole lot of thinking that has to go into this to avoid missteps. Thank you very much, and that's why we're talking about it, Larry. We want some thoughtful future visions and thoughtful evolution of the infrastructure, bringing me back to Heather Ashton at IDC. Heather, thoughts on what we've been discussing, please? Sure. Um, I would I would start with the conversation, I guess, with well, something Larry said about breaking old habits, and I definitely agree that humans are not um, open to change often, but if we remember what's coming in terms of uh, from a generational perspective, we have millennials who are going to reach, I think, critical mass probably in the next 10 to 15 years and don't find a need to own a car or want to own a car. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're looking for these transportation services or autonomous vehicles that will pick them up and drop them off, move them from point A to point B. So I, I see this, you know, that perhaps what's going to happen is this change in the acceptance is going to be reflective of where we are um, in terms of generationally what's coming and as the technology supports that. So I do think that's going to then change the cities. And as Otto said, those those hubs, the use of them or what they're used for, their purpose will change as well. I also think, back to the parking, um, if a third of urban space is taken up by parking, what is that going to be replaced by? So there are some opportunities here to really transform what a city looks like in, in many respects and how, as Otto said, the living takes place or how the living can be better respected and better supported by some of these changes in transportation and and autonomous vehicles. Thank you, Heather. Very interesting conversation. Larry, I think we got part four or part five coming because we're almost out of time here. But Larry Stoley, let's talk about security. We mentioned data rearing its head even more importantly in the future of transportation, mobility, driverless cars, the infrastructure, the grid. Talk to me. You say security will be exponentially important. Instead of a single vehicle or identity being safeguarded, entire infrastructures will need to be secured. Larry, we got about a minute before we go to our predictions, or maybe you want to make this your prediction. Larry Stoley, go ahead. When, when, when you really think about it, you know, we've spent all of our time talking about hacking the one vehicle or hacking the one Facebook account or the one email account and so on. Now what we have is tremendous numbers of people and vehicles all on a single infrastructure. And that infrastructure is just as vulnerable in total as an individual vehicle is. And the, the importance, though, is manifested by tremendously greater opportunity for chaos, tremendous Im- opportunity for impact should something uh, untoward happen. So I think we have to take the, the security thing uh, to entirely new levels because we're not infecting me. We're not a- in- impacting you. Mm-hmm. We're impacting the population, and that becomes very, very significant. Everything we've worried about in the past has been kind of focused at the uh, the one-person level, hacking uh, into government, the Social Security accounts. The, the net impact is huge, but it's at an individual level. As we start moving to smart cities, smart infrastructures, and so on, everyone's impacted at once and impacted very, very seriously. So it becomes a big issue, a big matter that we have to deal with, we have to be prepared for. 
Very, very profound. I think we've got to do a whole show on that. Thank you. You know what? We are in our predictions round. I'm going to give you each 60 seconds. We'll go back to Heather Ashton at IDC. IDC Insights. Heather, I still love the year 2020. It still has that little ring to me. I think of Baba Wawa all the time. So you tell me, how far in the future do you think our conversation would change on autonomous vehicles and impact on smart cities? Heather Ashton, predictions, go. I think uh, by 2020, you're going to see that most cities have, um, if not all major cities, have that um, chief of streets or chief of um, chief of smart city that are really helping to start orchestrate the way these autonomous and semi-autonomous vehicles will interact with the the roads and the infrastructure within the city. So I do think that that's going to be, um, you know definitely common by 2020. Uh, and I also think, to Larry's point, and I can build this into the prediction, is that uh, they're going to have to be an, have an expert in cybersecurity on their, you know, kind of con- committee, panel, board, um, whatever, because that, that absolutely is going to be paramount to ensuring the security and the safety of the future of autonomous cars working and interacting within the smart city. Thank you very much, Heather. And let's move to Otto Shell at GM. Otto, predictions? I can give you a whole 60 seconds as well. I think in uh, around about 2020, we will not be there where we want to be, it's simply because between a connected car, connected city, and smart uh, and shared environments, we have humans. No? So humans still want to learn. So we will have much more pilots. We will have a chaos of... Uh, application you can use yeah you see it already trying to get a cap but i i predict that at this time at least people start to talk about how they can do the future together yeah let let's come back uh, if a city does not connect to a countryside if a city does not connect to the government if if europe for example does not connect to europe all of our discussions will not help because it's a momentum of uh, huge efforts we have to take, investments, and, and, and so I think we will have a lot of pilots because people like pilots, cars, and applications. So at the end of the day, the taxi driver doesn't know which to take first. But we will have at least good discussion on a government level, big companies coming together and say, how do we want to get it into the future? Thank you, Otto Shell at GM. Larry Stoley, I saved one minute for you, maybe a minute and change. Predictions, go. All right. Well, when I started talking on this show, we talked about um, infrastructure, and we talked about infrastructure needing to be fixed, repaired in some cases. We talked about it needed to be expanded to meet the number of growing number of vehicles and so on and so forth. We talked about investing in the future to enable smart cities, to enable autonomous vehicle infrastructures and so on. I think there's a, yet another uh, aspect that, that's going to come into the financial side of investing in infrastructure, and that's how do we allow autonomous vehicles and driver-driven uh, vehicles, people vehicles with drivers, to mix on the road. So that's going to add some additional cost and some additional thinking. And what what I see happening, my prediction is that we're the the amount of money necessary to invest in our infrastructure is going to continue to grow, but at the same time, there is going to be a tremendous. Um, infighting, if you will, over how we spend our precious few tax dollars and how we spend them appropriately. There are human things that we need to spend them on. There are smart infrastructures we need to spend them on. I think the the, uh, reality is that this investment question in mobility and 
smart cities and so on is one that's going to be played out in a very, very interesting and competitive way with all of our other societal, societal needs. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. Right on time, right on the money, no pun intended. I want to thank Heather Ashton at IDC. Heather, always a pleasure. You always sound so awake and so alive and so interesting when you speak with us, and we really appreciate your input and your work getting ready for the show. Otto Shell, same to you, Otto. The fair in Germany sounds amazing. We're going to want to talk about that in the future. And Larry Stoley, what a great idea for the series. We're certainly enjoying hearing from you and your colleagues on the future of cars. And a shout-out to your colleague Bill Newman. I know he's going to be working on some future upcoming shows. Is that redundant future upcoming? Probably, but I I will not take that back. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. I'll be back in an hour. Yes, I will with Financial Excellence with Game Changers. We're talking today about the impact of the millennials work style on the current and future finance organization. What are they doing to change the role, the job, the perception, and the perspective of the financial professional? Very profound topic. So thank you again to Heather Ashton at IDC, Auto Shell at GM, Larry Stoley at SAP, and Justin at the Business Channel. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and here is my very appropriate call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. Even if the car is driverless, you're probably going to need one. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Have a great one. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to The Future of Cars with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Tuesdays at 7 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.